Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I think I let go a couple years ago of the white version of me. Like, that, that guy does not exist. It doesn't exist. And I'm just torturing myself. Like, looking at him and going, oh, he, got, he would get this and he'd get that and he'd get this. But it's that thing where, like, what do you want? Like, come from within. You know what I'm saying? Not from how people see me. What am I about? What am I, what direction I'm going? What is this heading? And accept what's happening and own whatever space it is. If nominated for an Oscar, Daniel Kaluuya will be just one of eight black actors to ever return for a second nomination after his initial one for Get Out. I'm Clayton Davis. On this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Daniel Kaluuya about his new film, Judas and the Black Messiah, in which he portrays assassinated Black Panther chairman, Fred Hampton. Also in this episode, we interview writer and director Eliza Hittman about her film, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. But first, the Award Circuit Roundtable breaks down the nominations for the Critics' Choice Television Awards, as well as all the current Critics' Awards leaders in this early precursor season. We also examine the frontrunner for visual effects and the changes that were implemented for the Oscars International Feature Shortlist process. It's all on the latest edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis, Film Awards Editor here at Variety, joined today with Janelle Riley. Good morning, or whatever time you're listening to this. <laughs> Why are you holding a cup so fancy today? Is it fancy? I don't have my pinky up. No, no, you're, I, you're just, you're just <laughs> holding it with two hands. It's, it's my warmth. It's, it's, it's a little chilly in Los Angeles, yeah. which means it's about 80 degrees. Oh, whatever. So I'm <laughs> just <laughs> Wait, hi. I was just going to say... Chili, the girl is nuts. It's like 88 degrees. I'm wearing yes. a t-shirt for those who can't see see us. And the bachelor himself, Michael Schneider. I accept your rose, Clayton Davis. <laughs> I accept your rose. It's a new day in America. It's a new day Yay. in America. Hopefully you're listening to this and there has been a change in presence. Everything went smoothly, I'm presuming. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Dangers of recording. I, I was thinking if, if it didn't, then you're probably not listening to this podcast this week because we've had other issues. <laughs> then to this is our final episode. <laughs> yeah. It was great. <laughs> Never did make it to the Oscars, but we got so close. Yeah. <laughs> right there. 
Oh, so uh, everyone's long weekend, MLK weekend. It was it was fun and great. And uh, Mike, we're going to start off with some TV talk. Oh wow! Today. It's, it's... Oh my God, Mike, your purpose has finally arrived. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> finally, finally. Um, well, well, hot off uh, uh, my uh, Golden Globes TV predictions are up as well. So you can go go over to Award Circuit uh, at Variety to check them out. But uh, yeah, this weekend, uh, the Critics' Choice Association uh, put out its uh, nominations on the TV side. The film uh, nominations come out on February 8th, uh, so, so you have to wait a few more days for those. But uh, on the TV side, uh, pretty much uh, you know, a good, good list, uh, what you would expect on, on the drama side for drama series. You've got Better Call Saul, an emotional favorite of mine. Uh, the Crown, of course. Uh, the Good Fight, which is uh, traditionally a favorite with critics from CBS All Access, soon to be renamed Paramount Plus. Keep up, oh. everyone, with your streaming <laughs> services. Uh, Lovecraft Country, which I really, really liked uh, on HBO, uh, made it on the list, too. Uh, you got The Mandalorian from Disney+. Plus. You got Ozark from Netflix, uh, which seems to be having a resurgence right now. Perry Mason on HBO, which uh, I-, I think not as many people saw, but, uh, you know, Matthew Reese is always fantastic. And then the one lone broadcast holdout, This Is Us, from NBC uh, on the drama Hold side. Holding on with dear life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to have at least one broadcast show, and that's true yeah. on the the comedy side too. Mike, Mike can I ask you? And I, I, obviously, full disclosure that I'm a member of Critics Choice Association and, and I do vote on the TV side. Jazz, Critics Choice. Uh, we just, I just need to say it out there. Just put it out there at the top. But Better Call Saul. Question for you, Mike, in particular. There, do you think that's going to have a moment like? Game of Thrones type, like towards the end of the series, or you think it's one of those that just makes its whole run? And I'm thinking of it in the Emmy uh, spectrum. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a good question because it hasn't quite gotten the due that it it should, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know I think uh, you know one of the the, the problems is going to be as it sort of ends its run, you're, it's going to run into so many newer shows, and and there's just going to be a crowd of shows that were delayed because of the pandemic that are all going to be coming out around the same time in the next couple of years, including the next season of Succession uh, and and uh, a lot of other shows that are really going to, I mean, it's it's going to be hard for it to, to get much, I think, toward the end. Uh, but damn it, if, 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 if the Emmys don't give Ray Seahorn something before the oh end of the series. Oh my God, at least a nomination. I'm burning yeah. this place Come down. Come on. Yeah. And also, I'm really hoping Bob Odenkirk pulls a John Hamm <laughs> Sorry, I was, I was thinking John Hamstring for some reason. <laughs> I, I guess I was saying Paul <laughs> Hamstring. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Terrible pun. You would think I was Justin Chang. Um, I'm really hoping he pulls a John Hammond in his final season. They're like, okay, finally, let's give this guy his due. You know. I agree. I agree. I would say pe- people don't also realize Emmys are very different from Oscar. They do not bat an eye or feel bad about letting someone walk off a show. Nope, nope, not no, at all. No, like we, I don't think people ever will see. Talk to a, Hugh Laurie. The, the the John Hamm in a in a vacuum like doesn't happen. Like that is it was such a a moment it was, and really surprising that they even let it happen like at that time. But you have to, you need that perfect storm. You need Breaking Bad to not be in contention. Bingo. That That's <laughs> Brian Cranston let it happen more than the Emmys yeah. let it happen. Yeah. You need the split and back to Better Call Saul there. Like, if Bob Odenkirk was going to have his moment, it would have been last season, and he got snubbed completely. Crazy. You know? Crazy. So, Such a good Interesting season. crowd. 
and Emmys love freshman shows. They're, they're they're you know never forget that first season of Homeland. They just went all in. Yeah, yeah, and, and it feels more than ever. It's it's because there's there's so much new being thrown at us that you sort of forget about the to the tried and true, and you know that's that's especially true with uh, the Globes as well. So you know both sides of it. Um, yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll have to just, you know, deal with the, at least the critics, uh, and, and especially, uh, the, the TV critics association recognizing Bob. Let's talk about the comedy. What, what, what was on the comedy side? I think that was, uh, more up, uh, the Mike Schneider love alley yeah, of good, every, all of his favorite shows. Good mix as well. Better things, which, uh, you know, a, a really such a lovely, great show that, that uh, I'm glad continues to get some sort of attention from FX. Uh, the flight attendant, which is a, a real sort of, it's a fun, uh, watch. I'm glad to see that get into the mix from HBO Max. Uh, HBO Max's first big awards contender. Uh, Mom from CBS is the one broadcast holdout. That's sort of a interesting, unusual uh, pick at this point, this late in its run. Why that one? I really like Mom. Do not I do, do not say anything against Mom. <laughs> oh, I, I just I just never understood why the critics went so, like for years. And listen, I'm not saying that you know modern day uh, modern day Modern Family lost its spark. Like you know, mid run of its of its entire run, but critics were abandoning it long before it lost its spark. They always felt like they can go in different directions, and I just always find it crazy that their network representation was mom. I understand what you're saying, but Allison Jan, I don't, I don't exactly. Care what you're she owns the script. It's still really funny. Like they it haven't is. lost. It is. Oh, it, it is. It is a well well done show. I mean, I I, I think uh, the I'm I'm surprised uh, the Good Place isn't the broadcast representation here. But the Clayton, this is where it gets into the who's actually voting on these for the the critics' choice. I I know it's, it's, uh, you know, on the film side, it is pretty much critics. It is people who are, uh, you know, sort of in in the mix. On the TV side, it's, there aren't many critics, actually, who are well, and, a part and, there, of the and there's also committees. I don't know if anyone knows that. Committees choose the nominations for TV. So you're, you know, it's a smaller group, and it's usually random. I, I've been on the committees a few times, and it's always, uh, you know, it's easier to push something that doesn't really have a shot through than you, something you, that... You all are burying the lead, which we should have opened with, which is that Ted Lasso, the best show on TV. Yes. Is, is one of the nominees. Because, like, I was hooked on this show from the beginning, full disclosure. Brendan Hunt is a friend of mine um, for about 20 years now, so... Oh, excuse but, me. But no, no, no. <laughs> he's, a, he's a member of my theater company. Hey, I got one. I got a Ted Lasso mug, too. Not right now, but I, I can fake it. Um, <laughs> but I only watched it for him, thinking I would have no interest in this series, and it has become the gospel for me. And it's funny, because <laughs> I've been preaching it for so long, and at least, like, once a week, I get a text from somebody saying, I just started Ted Lasso... What a joy. You're so right. And you bet I save those because I rarely get texts like that. <laughs> I recommend it at least once a week because, and the thing that I love about it is that it's actually set the football ground was where I used to, like, I used to live like 10 minutes away from it. So really? it's kind of, yeah, it was, it's Crystal Palace or somewhere down there. So it's set like South London um, and just the whole like football team being from South London too just kind of warms my heart. So that's the reason why I was like, oh, I'll watch for, this for, for early people on. Unaware, unaware of the show, when she says football, she means soccer. I think it's important. <laughs> it's important for us to... Oh, to, yes. Because there are some people listening right now and they're going like, oh, I didn't know it was about the NFL. 
No, it's not. <laughs> and, and biscuits are Sorry. cookies. Yeah. And apparently the biscuits are disgusting. And Joyce was saying it in her here. British accent, too, so it made everything just, like, right on point. <laughs> of, like, everything. This is why Hannah Waddingham deserves to win uh, all the awards. She, like, eats these biscuits that are just so amazing and life-changing, and apparently in real life, they're disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I, and by the way, she was nominated as well for Critics' Choice, so hopefully, you know, that that will lead to something more with, with the other awards show. But, um... Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know, she is the shame nun from Game of Thrones. That's right. That's playing right. Playing a totally different role here than shame. Clang, and, clang. And, and real quick, just to continue the tangent, since we are like one degree away from great television, is not only did Jazz live close to the the field where they shot Ted Lasso, but our former colleague Will Thorne's family lives close to where they shot Bridgerton. So, <laughs> by the way, was oh Bridgerton gosh. eligible for these, or was it too late? Uh, I don't think it was. I think it came out too late. Um, but to finish the comedy uh, series list, uh, because so excited to see Pen15, uh, another yeah. great underrated show yes. that deserves uh, the, the attention from Hulu. Hulu, man, they're, they're in the mix because they got Rami as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, of course, Emmy Darling, Schitt's Creek, uh, Ted Lasso, like we mentioned. And then another one that's uh, you know definitely getting uh, some, some uh, awards love that was unexpected at the Emmys. And now I think we'll continue on as FX is what we do in the shadows. Yay, My show. Yes. Shame on Critics' Choice for not taking this final opportunity just to jot down Noah Reed's name for Schitt's Creek. I thought they were they would do it for like this last final go round. You know, they did everyone from the cast, but yeah. Noah Reed is uh, a treasure well, of that. Oh, I was yeah. I was considering him a secret weapon of its, especially the later seasons and its success. But uh, I would say the same about Chris Elliott. Who I thought maybe gets in there. Yeah, yeah, category. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy for what we do in the shadows. And if you haven't seen it, this is my other. If you, you know, it's in its second season. Seek it out. It is brilliant. It's created by Taika Waititi, who did the 2014 movie. So, absolutely one of the best shows on TV. And they recognized um, Colin Robinson as well who is one of my favorite characters on TV right now. Can, can I also, I don't know, a little bit of a fun fact. All previous winners from last year were not eligible this year. So Succession won drama series last year. Obviously, it wasn't eligible, it was not back. Regina King and Watchmen. Billy Crudup in The Morning Show. Uh, Gene Smart, Fleabag and Comedy. Barry. And uh, I, I need, I, I cannot wait to get Barry back. Like, I'm Where just, is Barry? Yeah. Where is Barry? Well, that's, yeah. I mean, part of it is, yeah, definitely a function of, of our COVID times, all these production halts. And, and, and so it's so unusual now that, uh, you know, TV again, sort of the cycle of TV is starting to look a lot more like film in terms of sequels don't come out the following year. They maybe come out two, three years down the road. And we're seeing that a lot more with TV. But good news back on the Ted Lasso front, because we should only this this podcast is now a Ted Lasso fan podcast. <laughs> I, guess so. I thought, always thought it was. Uh, but I did see one of my favorite posts from last week is it looks like production is back up and running on season two yes, of Ted Lasso. Okay, great. Can I get it now? <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I, they can turn that around quickly, right? Edit it tomorrow. Get it, get it in our <laughs> veins. So then that's that was TV side and now film side, right? Because that's the fun stuff to talk about because we don't know what's going on there. This is such a weird season. Mike, as, a, as, a, as, a, as not a, a hardcore film person or awards person in the film space, do you find it... Uh, hard to navigate in terms of even when we're talking here, because I'm not going to lie. I think I got seven or eight calls this weekend from Oscar voters 
asking me what should I watch. I don't know what is out or what is what's Michael. Good or do you not. have trouble following along with us? <laughs> like, like, I, I, didn't know if it, I didn't know if it was just these people or is it just like everyone is it's because we're too entrenched. It is crazy. It is. Are crazy. we in yeah. a bubble? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's always the case, right? I mean, every year you probably get those questions of of what should I be watching. Is it um, more than is it more so than usual? It's I more feel this it year. is. Yeah, sure. I yeah, definitely feel because it because maybe there isn't that obvious. I mean, by now there is that obvious front runner, those obvious like two or three front runners that everyone's talking about and everyone has seen. And and I don't know if I feel like that's the case this year. Where I mean, Clayton, you're, you've got a Roma poster behind you. I remember the year that you know everyone was about. You have to it was watch like thirty years Roma. ago. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the, there's always that one film that everyone has to watch, and and uh, you know it, it does feel like every other week we're. Talking about a different have to watch. Like, remember when we were talking about Mank? I feel like that was three seasons ago now. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> oh, so I mean, yeah. And, and looking at what what we have so far, there have been twenty seven uh, critics awards that have been handed out thus far since this all started back in twenty uh, seven. Like oh, hey, tw- um, weekly reminder: critics aren't Oscar voters. Oh, yep. Just, there you go. just throwing Always it out there. That. <laughs> yep. Got it that. in there. Yep, but uh, some interesting uh, developments over the weekend and up to this point of when we're recording 27. Nomadland still leads the charge in Best Picture wins. Um, And listen, it's still a long way to go. We're still nearly two months away from nominations even being announced and three months from, three to four months from from actual ceremony. So a lot of things can change, but Nomadland leads. Trial of Chicago 7 has the second most wins behind. Uh, Chloe Zhao, nearly perfect in director wins. The only person to win a director trophy that wasn't Chloe Zhao uh, is Spike Lee, won Hawaii. Oh, look, we went to uh, Mike Schneider and Janelle's hometown <laughs> and won Hawaii. Uh, also, also Thomas Vinterberg for European Film Awards, you know, just for keeping it here. But lead actor has the most interesting developments. We have a three-way tie for the who's leading in critics awards, Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal, Delroy Lindo, The Five Bloods. The next person who has wins is Anthony Hopkins. He has two. Wow. Uh, and not that I thought Anthony Hopkins would sweep all season because um, critics aren't Oscar voters, but um, do you still think Anthony Hopkins is the front runner? Uh, no. Like I, I mean, I, I, I think I think he's still number two. At, Such a brilliant performance. Yeah, but I do think this has now led me to believe that this is probably a little more fluid and not slam dunk Chadwick Boseman. And, and listen, I, I've been I've been looking at Riz Ahmed with side eyes of just like maybe you're wrong. Oh out. yeah, I, maybe I, maybe that happens this year. You know, because so good, he's so charming on the circuit. He's working it like you know. I it just. Yeah, and everybody loves that film, though. Oh yeah, I also yeah. think about yep. when he gets a SAG voting. Like TV people are going to vote there too, and they love when you cross both worlds, and they usually will will help a bit. And he's you know he had the night of, you know he he's he's someone that's been like touching it all. So. Yeah, no, I totally see that. I, I often think about like the career trajectory is very similar between the two of them. And and so, you know, a lot of people like really discovered Riz Ahmed because of the night of and then suddenly became Riz Ahmed fans after that. 
I know that this is a Ted Lasso fan cast, but can we turn it into a Riz Ahmed? <laughs> Jesus and Vegas is not on in Sound of Metal. Oh, but do you think that Gary Oldman's still going to get in for Mank? Like, is or I, I okay. So, I, uh, so <laughs> everyone paid attention to predictions last week. I pulled Mank out of picture, director, wow. and screenplay. Listen, I, I think. You went Listen, all and, out. And th- th- things change, right? So this is fluid. This is not definitive. But right now, it feels like Mank's going to tank. Oh. oh, you've been holding oh. on to that. Look at that look on his oh, face. Yeah. <laughs> little, little pat itself on the if back. If the Mank don't fit, then you must acquit. No, that doesn't work. Really <laughs> right. no, no. John Hamstring. Wait, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think Ben Affleck is gaining momentum, which makes me happy because he is, that is true. so brilliant in the way back. And I'm really hoping that that he cracks that top five. Yeah, I mean, listen, it feels like four guys have actor spots. Again, feels. Don't know. Right, we don't know. Critics, we don't critics know. aren't Oscar voters. But that last spot is between Stephen Young, Gary Oldman, Ben Affleck, Lakeith Stanfield, I think, is in the conversation. Never doubt Tom Hanks just to come on in just because. Uh, John David Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Like, listen, John David Washington would be deserved. I oh, think easily. Would. People love Mads Mikkelsen. I have to say that. And he's brilliant in another Funny, round. Besides Anthony Hopkins, uh, who won two, Mads Mikkelsen has only won one. He's the only person that has won something this year. So. People are really responding to that performance the more it's seen. And, you know, it's sort of. I don't know. I, I was going to say something but stupid, so I'll just... Also, don't count out Delroy Lindo, like that fifth slot. So I think... I don't know. I still oh, think... I think Delroy's in. I think, I think he's one of the four. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, actress wins. Frances McDormand's leading. Uh, she's not running away like she was before. I think she has 12, and Carrie Mulligan has seven or eight now. So there is closing the gap. Carrie's picking up some momentum. Paul Racy's still running away with supporting actor, and it's it's Racy. really weird. Um, and Janelle, I think you're gonna be able to speak to this also. For someone who's running away with critics awards, he still feels like he'll barely get in at number five if he does. I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm concerned. I, but but people are clearly watching the movie. Yeah, it's about watching the movie, but it's also about this is where the parties are missed. He's someone that if you if we had an Oscar party. He would charm the hell out of the room. You guys heard him on the podcast last week. He is the sweetest man. He has such a great story. Um, but he, you know, I, I'm crossing my fingers for him. And then uh, supporting actress now, back and forth and bobbing, uh, Yu Jung Yoon from Minari, Maria Bakalova, Borat. She's one behind Yu Jung Yoon right now. Basically the same performance if we break it down. <laughs> Yes. Oh yeah, no difference. I would love to see the role swap, though. It would be incredible. <laughs> incredible. Uh, Promising Young Woman, though, just took the lead in original screenplay wins. Yes, it so, did. And oh, I yeah. put that number. I think. I think that could happen. That feels like a JoJo Rabbit type of thing at the end, where they just throw it some love. Uh, Nomadland is a leading and adapted. Soul leads animated with Wolf Walkers behind. Uh, Mank does lead production design wins, if that counts, uh, for stuff. And then Nomadland and Cinematography and, and Editing, it leads. Um, and then this is, becomes a nice transition. Tenant leads Visual Effects. And I really want to have a conversation about visual effects. Because without big screens this year, how does this race look? Does it just 
go to the movie that they may have seen in in theaters or just wh- whoever has the biggest TV in their mansion. Hmm. I don't I have know. a mansion, by the way. I mean, it's so interesting that Tenet is leading because Christopher Nolan uses so much practical effects, right? Like, he got a Boeing 747, he crashed it into a building. That wasn't VFX. So... Yeah, maybe they all did I mean, see. It, pra- I mean, practical effects are still. First Man was yeah. a lot of practical effects, and it won. You know, so uh, I, I see it like a race between Tenet and Midnight Sky. I think those two probably are the the leaders in in that space. But I don't know. I, is it, I mean, maybe maybe it's something like The Invisible Man. Like that would be. Oh yeah, I would totally which was a take great. That. Yep, which was great. Um, I I. Maybe Mulan will get in, like almost always a Disney movie will get in and yeah. I think that could get in. Yeah, or, or maybe, maybe even Greyhound. Greyhound could be it. Cause, Greyhound. You know, and listen, I know I just like, I poo-pooed on it a little bit, but Mank could totally also take visual effects. Sure. I mean, the creation of, like, if people maybe don't know it or see it, but there's a lot of visual effects in those creations of old Hollywood. And it's worked on by the same people who did uh, the Irishman last year. Also got nominated. Well, I, I think for sure all those films will definitely be like one of those 20 movies that get whittled down into the first round. And then they'll probably get whittled down into the 10, whether they make like the actual final five is. Jazz giving us that transition to the short list. <laughs> Yeah, so what? What explain this to us, uh, Clayton? <laughs> so because people don't get it, and it, listen, it's not something easy to get. So the Oscars made an announcement last week. Regard, well, didn't make an announcement. It was broken through media, and then people confirmed it. Um, they have made an adjustment to the shortlist process. So we the, right now it looks like, and there's not an official number. It looks like that 93 films have are being considered for international feature. In past years, what would happen is, based on popular vote, seven films would automatically make the shortlist. Now, there is not an international branch. Like, there is a sound branch and other branches in the Academy. There's an, there's an international executive committee, but it's not a branch. So what would happen is those oh, seven... Oh, God, I'm sorry. I just woke up. What, what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh international films are important, Janelle. So, <laughs> I know, I know. It's just so, a lot so, of exposition. So, but what would happen is in past years, uh, someone from PricewaterhouseCoopers would essentially walk into the room with the executive committee and say, these are the seven films that, that made it. And then that committee would come up with the last three, and they were called like the quote-unquote saves. Last, it, it's been... It's been known, rumored, reported that last year, like the saves were Atlantics, uh, Beanpole, and something else off the top of my head I can't remember. So a lot, there's even rumors that like The Great Beauty, that one international feature was a save that year. So this year, what they've done because everything's being done virtually and you can't get into a room and have someone from Price Waterhouse walk into the room. They're going to be doing this via Zoom. That brought about security concerns. So for the first time, they're extending it to 15 films to make the shortlist no saves. Now, the saves, just for a history, this got brought about in 2007, 2008, when four months, three weeks, two days failed to make the shortlist. And it was, like, embarrassing to the the cinematic sphere. So they instituted the the save uh, process. So now... 
you know, another round, which we just talked about with Mads Mikkelsen, could be the it's considered the front runner to take that prize. But what happens if it doesn't make the short list? I mean, we we've seen what do- happens in documentary feature, you know, things that don't make the short list and things that don't make it in the end. It's going to be uh, an interesting little thing to watch unfold. Short list is announced on February 9th, by the way. And they vote February 1st through the 5th. And that has been your time with International Feature. Watch some of them. Back, back to <laughs> Ted Lasso. Uh, <laughs> Jason Sudeikis is in a foreign language film. He's in another round. He's not. I'm joking. People are like, really? I'm going to watch it tomorrow. All right. Well, on that, that note, we got to get on to the rest of this episode. Uh, Clayton, you got Daniel, Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Oh, yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah and Eliza Hittman, a screenwriter and director of Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Sounds like another great episode. And again, it's a new America. It's a new dawn. So let's celebrate. Thanks, everyone. I thought you were going to start singing Feeling Good. <laughs> <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't do it, though. You're so you didn't go where I wanted you to. I can't sing. I want to be on um, I Can See Your Voice um, since Ken Jong. This could be a Ken Jong uh, fan podcast as well. Um, it, that show is like is, is just such a joy, and I want to be one of the bad singers. I want, I want to do lip sync battle because I don't have to. Lip sync I can do very well, but yeah, no, I can't. Oh, I, I, I want to do drop the mic. I want to do uh, some, some hip-hop uh, throwdown battle. So would you? let's go. <laughs> Please tell me the song you would rap. I need to know. <laughs> I could see you bust out some Eminem and I would die. Uh, for for those who can't see, Michael is the whitest guy in out of the four of us. And he's wearing a bachelor <laughs> sweatshirt. So the, the whole image is just... I would love it's, to see you rap. Exactly. Which now they got my bachelor reference at the top of the episode. They think I, they probably thought I was saying that you like got divorced. A lot, a lot of rumors coming out of this week's episode. Yeah. All right. Uh, I just want to know what Clayton's going to lip sync to. That's what I'm. I'm just trying to. That's going through my head right now. Sweet Caroline, Neil Diamond. You can't just sing that. Come on. I, I, I can't. I do that karaoke. Actually, it's my karaoke song. All right. When when we get past the pandemic, by the way, award circuit karaoke night. It is 2027. Oh, it's going to it be. It is a thing. It is a thing. Don't know what you're asking for. It will be happening. So yes. All right. See you guys next week. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. Directed by Shaka King. Judas and the Black Messiah stars Oscar-nominated actor Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, and Lakeith Stanfield as William O'Neill, an FBI informant whose betrayal leads to Hampton's murder by police and the federal agency. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. What do you want? Get close to Hampton. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Neutralize him by any means necessary. America's on fire right now. And until that fire is extinguished, nothing else means a damn thing. Kaluuya spoke to Variety's Award Circuit podcast about the criticism that a British actor would be betraying the fallen Hampton and how he's a vessel in the cinematic art form. In addition, He discusses the progress of diversity in Hollywood and how he, quote, gave up on the white version of himself years ago. The 31-year-old also shares what type of film he wants to make next and who he wants to star alongside him. 
we begin by discussing how Kaluuya got hired for Judas and the Black Messiah. I was doing a reshoot of Black Panther. And, um, and Ryan and Zinzi pulled me to the side. And they were just talking about they're, they're developing a Fred Hampton film with about Fred Hampton and William O'Neill and about his rise and fall during that time in 68, 69. And I was like, he was like, really like, yo, really want you to be interested. I'm really interested in you playing Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton. I was like, wow, what, what, uh, what, an, what, an, <laughs> what honor. He was just like, yo, I just want to send you a treatment. And then if you like it, <clears throat> sit down to sit down with Shaka, the director. So I read the treatment, it's like two pages. I was like, wow, this is, this is really concise and really clear. And then, yeah, he was kind of, he pitched it kind of like, yeah, it'd be amazing for you and Lakeith to be working together again. And then, um, then I sat down with Shaka. Yeah, I think I sat down with Shaka in New York before I read the script. And then, because I was doing all the Get Out press and it was all award season. And, um, and yeah, man, it was like, I just really, I really enjoyed his energy. Really understood, like, I really liked the reasons he was, he was telling the story. It really spoke to him. But like, he really wanted to, to to allow this story to get to the masses, you know? And um, and then I read the script and I was just like, wow, this is incredible. This is just incredible. Um, Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred Hampton as a man is just incredible. His words are just incredible. And then, and then I kind of, it hit me again that he was 21 because I knew it before, but then I was like, wow. Like hearing his words in this way um, was like, oh, wow, this is, this is, I, I can't believe this is, this happened to him. And he, he's a kid. He's a kid, but he was um, a man, you know? It was like a, a leader and someone that was, had ideas and cared about the people, cared about his people. And yeah, that's how I, I, I got involved. Uh, one of the, when the trailer dropped in August, uh, you know, it hit hard, man. It hit, like, everyone was like, yes, like, Really excited for it. Uh, and uh, obvious uh, criticisms came, you know, were like, you know, why, why do we have a, a British actor playing Fred Hampton? You know, and I, I, I find it to be an unfair criticism because they feel, because a lot of people feel like Black history is Black history. It's shared by all. It's a global problem, you know, racism and everything like that. Uh, I guess I would like look for your reaction, your response to anyone who feels like this isn't your story to tell, even though it is or it can be? I feel for me, it's like with, with all acting roles I do, I'm not the person. Um, and for me, it's like I'm a vessel for a spirit that is going through me, you know? And um, for whatever reason, that opportunity comes to you and you, you're occupying that space and you um, want to know, interrogate your own reasons, like my own reasons for wanting to do it. And if I feel they're respectful um, and interrogate everyone else's reasons for me wanting to be a part of it and, and feeling it's respectful coming from a good place where we're trying to say something and we're trying to get something and, and I'm blessed enough to be in this position. And, and, it, and I feel like it's, it's important for us to, as black people across the diaspora, to be together. And that's not to discount what black Americans feel and how, what they've been through. 
um, which is which is what this dynamic kind of reflects. But it's that going, yeah, I'm here and I'm here to be a vessel. And for me, it's about Chairman Fred Hampton. It's not about me. Like you know what I'm saying, it's like it's like this. There's a lot of people that don't know this man existed. There's a lot of people don't know the words that he says in this film. They don't know that those words exist, especially in post-production after this film, we shot this film and then everything happened this year with George, George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020. I was like, this film articulates the feeling that has been happening this year, you know? And that's what I'm focused on. It's like, how do I be a vessel to, to allow messages to, to get out there and help you feel it? And if people have feelings towards it, that's, they're entitled to those feelings. Thank you for that. Congratulations, by the way, on being able to play a 21-year-old. <laughs> well, why don't you hold on to that, man, as long as you can. I think, um, I think um, that was my last year. <laughs> I did it when I was 29. <laughs> you just hold it on for dear life. You're like, oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> they're like, no, was I 29? No, I was 30. I was 30. Yeah, I was dear life. <laughs> he was a very big, he didn't look 21. That's what the kind yes. of... That's the kind of thing. You feel like he lived a life already. So that's that's what kind of there's nothing about him and, and the Panthers during that time that felt 21. Like a 21, what a 21 year old, year old would be now. So that's the only thing I was like, okay, actually, this is kind of the most adult role spiritually that I've kind of played. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, I've had to I've had to really kind of like age up in terms of like understanding myself in order to yeah. get to Chairman Fred. It, it, was, it was interesting you said that, because when I first saw the movie, I, I said, like, it's my one criticism. I was like, Daniel Kaluuya is too old to play this role. But then I went and watched some Fred Hampton videos. I was like, that's not a 21-year-old. Like, like you, you say then you're like, oh, never mind. Daniel Kaluuya is perfect. Because Fred Hampton was not 21. So I'm, no, I'm, glad, I'm glad you picked up on that, too. Because that's something that people need to, like, <laughs> realize themselves. Um, Talk a little bit about your... Um, place in in this time in, in in american industry in hollywood where we're seeing a lot of representation being pro, a lot of progress being made uh, problem not solved but we're making a lot of strides forward uh this has started with you with get out you know you came through uh with an oscar nomination there you know and, and have just continued to work with uh outstanding directors and and filmmakers and artists of color and I've, I've loved to see that in you. Uh, do you feel like this is a real great awakening for the industry, for, for Black people and underrepresented people to have a space? Yeah, I feel like it, this time is the truth. Um, if I'm being honest, I feel like this is how it's always, I feel like it always was supposed to be just having you want to see fresh perspectives um, generationally and um, culturally uh, take on classic narratives and classic structures and classic, you know, like, and see their spin in it. You know, it's like, I, I just find that, for me, I just find that exciting. That's just me. You know what I mean? It's like, and um, so then the kind of, because I have those values, I've gravitated to the filmmakers that I've gravitated towards and they've blessed enough to, to gravitate towards me. And um and yeah, so it's that kind of I I feel like let's just keep going. You know, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna kind of go, oh yeah, you know, like yeah, we did like 
we did do it. We did do that. Yeah, we did do it. But it's that thing where like, let's keep, let's just keep, we've got a lot of work to do because it feels like there was a reset button because I did see, growing up, I did see the Whoopi Goldbergs. I did see the the, the Eddie Murphys. I did see the Richard Pryors. I did see the Sidney Poitiers. I did see the um, Samuel Jacksons, Denzel Washington's. There was all, they, they were all present, you know, Spike Lee's, you saw, they were all there. So it's that kind of thing where like, let's continue their work you know, and um, and let's keep going. And so then the generation after can go, all right, cool, it's our turn. Yeah, awesome. Um, what, one of the things that I've, I've been speaking with everyone uh, from the film, you think that directing a billion-dollar film called Black Panther, once Ryan Coogler brought this to a studio, they would automatically say yes. But there had to be a lot of... Uh, convincing and shopping around and, and things like that to get the story told, you know, add you to, to, to the mix. You think that would even make the, the conversation greater. And it was still like, there seemed to have been a lot of uh, pushback. And you're saying that, you know, this started back when Black Panther, when you were filming Black Panther, that you were approached by it and it took a while to get this made. What's some of your experiences with that about, you know, how this film was making its way through the rounds. Was there ever a point where you thought this isn't going to happen? I think we're going to, or, or you were pretty confident it was going to. I think I was inside. I was confident. And I, I felt like it felt like the time was now, but it did have a few bumps um, along the way. And I was at the point where I was like, I don't, is this happening? Is this really for real? Is this, and I think we were really blessed with the time that um, Ryan went out to pitch it and shop it around was the fact it was after Black Panther had made a billion. And and, and so he, he was in a stronger position to make the film in the way that Shaka wanted to, you know? It's like to kind of, and to have the right um, pieces together. And you know what I'm saying? In terms of the right cosigns, in terms of the family. And so it took a while, but I think it's supposed to take a while. You know, it's like sometimes like it's testing you how much you want it and how much you care and how much you're willing to, what obstacles are you willing to go over it? And I sometimes really encourage that kind of questioning. You know what I'm saying? It goes, no, no, we really mean it. We really mean it. We really mean to do this. And I hope that energy comes across on screen. Uh, Kate Winslet said something to me recently and I, and I, it was, I just spoke to her a few days ago and I was coming to talk with you and it was, it, it was something that was real. She says, I think there's a perception of, British actors that we are all classically trained, pristine, like scholarly actors of the craft. And we just like, you know, stay like, we're just all entrenched in this world. When, when the truth of the matter is that some of us, you know, aren't, and, you know, we're learning along the way, just like everyone else. Do you feel that there's like a, there's this expectation of you that, is greater than other people sometimes in this space? No, I don't really, I don't really, I, I felt it when, when Get Out came out, I was like, oh, there is a British actor narrative. There's a British narrative within America that is, hasn't really been authored by British people. It's been mm. authored by how Americans perceive British people. And so, and that was quite confusing. Um, and uh, especially like, that hasn't been my the 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 quintessential like trajectory of a, a British actor hasn't been my journey, you know. It just hasn't. 
and and uh, I couldn't afford drama school, you know. And so is that, and and um, and then going going the hard way and the long way, and then to get to position and people saying you've only got that because you were trained is um, can be quite disorientating. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just like oh wow, like you can ask me, I, I tell you how I got there. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's that thing where, but that's just the perception, and 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 that's like with anything, it's like. Like I say before, my 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 blackness has prepared me for my Britishness. Mm. So we're here, you know. It's cool. Very powerful line. I like that. I want to take a kind of moment to get to know, to to know you a little bit because I know, like you know, you were on the on the circuit with Get Out. You mm-hmm. are Oscar nominated. Um, the Film Awards editor here at Variety. My role here is to look at all this through an awards lens. You're going to be, if you're nominated for this movie, which I think you are, but if you are, you're going to be one of maybe six, I think, I think my last count is six uh, Black actors that return for a second nomination, which has been, Viola Davis, if she's nominated this year, she's going to be the most nominated actress of all, no, I'm sorry, most nominated Black person of all time with four. Oh, wow. And that is a very big discrepancy in the in what we honor and what we celebrate. Um, do you feel as though? Well, I guess what what do you feel like your role is in all this? How how are you feeling about the accolades that you have received up until now, and then your opportunity in the industry? Opportunity in what way? Uh, to 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 work, to work as an actor, to get uh to be afforded more roles and different types of roles in comparison to white actors and rest of rest of hollywood yeah i mean um and so and the first question is what sorry i'm sorry uh you uh with you possibly being another uh receiving another oscar nomination do you feel as though you know your role like i guess i guess looking through that lens of what's being celebrated and what's afforded to you uh, in comparison to the rest of Hollywood. Oh, okay. Okay. Good, good. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, I I think I let go a couple years ago of the white version of me. Like, mm-hmm. that, that guy does not exist. It doesn't exist. And I can't, it would, I'm just torturing myself. Like, looking at him and going, oh, he, got, he would get this and he'd get that and he'd get this. And then sometimes you kind of, but it's that thing where, like, what do you want? What do you feel like? Who are you? What do you like come from within? You know what I'm saying? Not from how people see me. What am I about? What am I, what direction I'm going? What is this heading? And accept what's happening and own whatever space it is if it's coming from within. If like I may be, I may be afforded less. I don't engage. I don't engage. I, I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know because I just don't think of it in that way I just feel really blessed to be doing what I am doing and the work that I am doing and I'm doing work that speaks to me speaks to the people around me and speak with the people that look like me and that's a blessing like I, and, and and that's not to negate that yeah it's really difficult for black people and we probably are, we are afforded less but I'm in a position and I, I feel like I'm I want to keep going I want to keep pushing I want to keep pushing the envelope keep pushing the bar and I and I try and I try to keep centered in saying there's only me, there's only the black me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm here. And I'm doing what I'm doing in a lifetime that I'm doing it in. You know, I'm here. 
And there's things that people feel that I can't do because I believe I can do it. I will do it. And that's, that's it. Like I don't, I can't, it will happen. It's happened already. Great. So talk about Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah. You guys, you guys, <laughs> you guys on screen, man. I mean, you guys uh, call a masterclass, you know, you guys are, are dueling, you know, uh, not even dueling. You're, you're, it's just, it's just a great, it's one of the great pairings that I've seen in quite some time. Uh, what, what was that like that approach? Cause you know, Lakeith's very, you know, he, he, I spoke with him yesterday. He spoke about like his emotional reaction to playing Bill O'Neill and how difficult it was for him because of who he was. Uh, how was that kind of interaction with Lakeith while shooting? It's intense. It was intense because of, um, there were certain scenes that were, that were just, that were really intense, man. Like, uh, I think on, a the 50th anniversary of uh, Fred Hampton's murder, Chairman Fred Hampton's murder, we filmed the, I mean, I, I think we could say like the scene where Bill O'Neill spikes Chairman Fred's um, juice. We that, that. that was filmed on the 50th anniversary day? Yeah. Man. So is that, it was, um, it was intense, man. And it's, it's, no, it's not a joke. I mean, it's like, and, and, I feel like artistically we went above and beyond to support each other in those moments where we were really, we, we felt the gravity of what we were bringing into reality on screen. Um, and so, and that's kind of, as a like creative partner, that's what you got to do. You just got to support your peoples mm-hmm. and go, yo, what do you need here? What do you need here? Do you know what I'm saying? And kind of like, and we just stayed in the zone, you know, and like stayed in that space and that we like, and then the scene would be done and we can kind of talk and laugh and and be kind of a bit more chill. But in those kind of moments, it was, it was intense. But I, I, I love that because it was the truth and it kind of, and I hope um, people feel that energy on the screen. I didn't know that. That's, that's so crazy that on, on the 50th anniversary of his, and, and Mama Akuya were on set for the scene uh, when Fred is killed, correct? Yeah, uh, Chairman, Chairman, Chairman Jr., Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. was on, was on set. Um, oh. And, uh, and yeah, I like, and he was, he was cool. He was cool, but it's, um, it was, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. That, that, that wasn't a joke day. That wasn't a, it's not something that, like when we was doing a shootout scene, it's not something that, it it felt like it's just it was it felt heavy, it yeah. felt heavy, and it felt like this. Is what I'm saying, all oh, this film is bigger than us. Yeah, individually, it's it's like there's something that's coming through us. So it's like, it, and 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 you can't help but not feel it when you're dressed as him or Dominique Fishback is dressed as Mama Kua, like you know, and you can't help but feel the weight of what these people were fighting against in order for the right to be themselves and a right for the basic rights of humanity, you know, and working to awaken a people, you know, um, like they're dedicating their lives to awaken their brothers and sisters around them who were suffering. Um, That is a lot, you know, and it's a huge responsibility and huge privilege, but, and and I can, can see that, but also as well, we can at the end of the day we can go home and 
and get back to ourselves. You know, Chairman Fred Hatton Jr. has to live that legacy. Can you talk about your interaction with Mama Kuya, Deborah Johnson. Uh, you know, did you did you have an extended conversation with her, like when you took the role, when you guys uh, started working on the film? Uh, we, went, we, we, went to, we went to Chicago. We went to Chicago, had a, a long meeting with Chairman Fred Hatton Jr., Mama Kua, and, um, and we kind of had to declare who we were, our intentions um, for being in this story. And, and yeah, just speak about where we've come from. And then we had a, Mama Kua had a big conversation with me, Mama Kua and Dominique Fishback, who was, who was playing her. And she, she was just asking us, um, what does art mean to you? You know, like those kinds of questions. Um, and yeah, it was like a real conversation that was getting to the heart of why we do what we do, which was, which I, I took a lot from and just hearing myself, because as you realize people don't ask you that. And, um, and, then, and I just really, and then she was like so um, loving and, um, and supportive of me. Um, during during the during the process, especially when I stayed in, I stayed in the accent and stayed in the thing. She was really every time she was on set, she was like giving me words of encouragement, and I really appreciate that. You know, you gave me a great segue because you said people don't ask you this, and I, that was my next question here. Uh, why do you do what you do? A big uh, thing of my place here at Variety is I want to encourage the next generation to get into the entertainment industry, the arts, but. If they're not exposed to it, they don't know. All they can see is Denzel Washington, Daniel Kaluuya. They don't know about what's behind. They don't know that Bradford Young is one of the best cinematographers in the game. They don't know uh, about Joy McMillan being a great editor. They don't know these these people. What inspired you to want to get into acting? Oh, man. Uh, it was a kind of like, for me, it was a cathartic experience. Um, uh, I got into it through improvisation. And so I never, like, I, yeah, I, I never read a script for like the first three years. It was kind of this kind of after school club in North London, where basically you pay five pounds and you just improvise with a bunch of kids. And then like, and there's a way to- How old were you? 13. 13. 13, so then like, and I do that. And then, and then I just realized this was a place where you can be creative and you find people that are similarly creative and you could just make stuff on the spot. And it really stretched uh, side of myself that I just found really fun. You can make plays, make stuff, just get to know yourself. And, and it just taught me how to trust my instincts and trust whatever was happening. And then a couple of the people in my class got on TV. And I was like, wait, you can make money out of this? I was like, oh, wow. And I was like, and then I was like, oh, you can have a career. And then it was just kind of those kind of stuff, kind of everything started ticking together. I was like, you can career have a career having fun. So it all kind of started piecing together. And then I just, I caught the bug, you know, I caught the bug. And But I feel the reason why I stayed, I just feel like when I started doing meaningful work, I'm not saying the beginning of my career my work wasn't meaningful, yeah. but it was like, it, me working was meaningful. But then when you start doing meaningful work that meant something to you personally, I realized, wow, like, because of my background, a bunch of my friends who wouldn't have seen this show are exposed to a certain certain ideas that I that I gravitate towards, and they 
it speaks to them and then we can have different kinds of conversation and I was like oh wow then I'm like this kind of like conduit for those kinds of those kinds of things and that's what I kind of want to be is just kind of like be able to to make narratives that challenge how you see the world and challenge the re the reality of now and ask questions and encourage critical thinking and like speak to your soul you know speak to your heart and move you um and that's that's um yeah that speaks to me one thing i wanted to ask you about uh Ekwa masangi directed a film called farella moore this year um about a nigerian family and she talked to me about the african stories that that are aching to be told uh Please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that your family's from Uganda. And I wanted to know if you had uh, that same type of, like, observing that absence of the African story being told in Hollywood, because I think it's not being told very often if there's any yearning to bring that uh, through your future works and your career. I mean, 400%. I mean, I really I really would. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm in this game and I've been put in this position um, is the is to shed light to those narratives and those stories and the stories that speak to me that was reminds me of my childhood and what I've experienced and what my family's experienced and um, yeah I'm like actively searching and 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 looking for those those narratives that um, shed put shed light to the continent in a in a different light. Talking about your time through your career, uh, after Get Out, you know, you, I'm sorry, right before Get Out, everyone always sleeps on this, that you're in Sicario, which is so super dope, man. Like, you're so great in Sicario. Um, and, uh, and kick-ass too, also, by the way. Then you get to do Black Panther, uh, which obviously, you know, just another big thing for you. I love you and Widows, man, so much. Uh, I have never seen a stare around someone rapping that like puts the fear of God in me. Uh, your work is, is very dynamic and you, you're doing a lot of different things, you know, working with Steve McQueen, you know, then you do Queen and Slim next. Is there a role that you're aching for that you're like, if it comes to me today, I'm in, I'm, I want it. A uh, rom-com, a rom-com. So like, like a kind of when Harry met Sally. That's what I, I watched when Harry met Sally twice, like a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, this is the shit. I was like, and so something like that is something that um, I would love to do next. It's kind of like that kind of lane. Um, I think it's really hard to translate joy on screen. It's very difficult. It's like yeah. very, 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 very difficult. And so, and if, if something's a challenge, I'm like, all right, cool, let's go there. Let's just, let's, um, let's work on making that happen. But yeah, that's, that's kind of like that. And that, just those kind of like joyful, joyful cinema cinema with very joyful moments. And I think the films I've done have very joyful cinematic moments. Usually is with a tinge of, of, of darkness, you know, under, underneath it, which is life as cool. You can't have light without dark, but it's, um, I think something like, like a rom-com would be, would be amazing. Ah, first of all, I love it. That's the best answer. I think you could have given me, uh, <laughs> Are you a fan of rom yeah. Is that you, your rom com? I'm, I'm all about people just like like listen. I'm like I am all about any type of genre, but especially something that is so out the like. Right now, I don't think of Daniel Kaluuya. I think of a rom com. Like, yeah, let's do a rom com. Do, do you have any uh, 
opposite who who would be good for you? <laughs> who would be opposite? Man, who's our who's our Meg who's our Meg Ryan? Who's the Meg Ryan? Really I mean, this is your world. We're living in it, so you get to pick. Get, <laughs> you get to pick it. I mean, like, I mean, I mean, like Issa Rae. Issa Rae. I think Issa Rae is amazing, and I'm a fan of Insecure. I've always been a fan of Insecure. Yeah, and that's the first person that came to mind. But I, w- I would have to do a, a deep dig in terms of because you want a lightness and lightness and spirit. So, so. Yeah. But I find Natasha Rothwell. I think Natasha Rothwell is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I think she's. Hilarious. I think that'd be hilarious, but um, she's probably one of my favorite actresses at the moment, like personally. But I'm a huge Insecure fan, so Zazie Beats is funny as well. Zazie Beats. Oh yes, yes. Wait, that's too many good-looking people on screen, man. You don't want you don't want to break the internet, you know, and just (laughs) every perfect person in Hollywood just on screen at once. Jeez. Um, All right, let's uh, going back to uh, two more questions, and then I'll let you go. with Judas, you know, HBO Max, you know, announcing with Warner Bros. Warner Bros. announcing that HBO Max is going to be kind of the place where all their films are going to debut in the year. Uh, caught a lot of people by surprise, including the producers of Judas. A lot of people in Hollywood are, are hurting or upset about it. Um, what are your thoughts about this not necessarily maybe getting seen by the people who it's made for because they don't have HBO Max or they're just not going to be able to see it in their local theaters because we're in a pandemic. I, I, uh, I have no, cause it's so new and, uh, I, I don't, I, and this time is this time. I have no idea about, I, I want people to see it. I want the people this, we made this for people to see it. And I feel the energy around it. People are going to go out of their way to, you know, and like, because, of what he means to 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 black people in America and across the world, so and that's that's where I think I, for me it's just like I just want Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred Hampton's words to be out there, and his not his story and his message to be out there, and like how can we facilitate that with all with this new obstacle that's come our way? Um, how can we facilitate that? And that's kind of all I'm I'm focusing on is how can we spread it um, as opposed to critique what could stop it as uh people don't know that you're you're also right you know you wrote two episodes of skins uh any yearning to write a feature script uh in your future do you have one in the back i'm right i'm right no, i've been writing all throughout i've written throughout get out and stuff i'm writing this film script I wrote a short film that came out called two single beds directed by william stefan smith that came out i think october it came out and so I'm kind of cooking stuff and just growing stuff and like, just want to keep creating, you know, it's kind of keep just like, you got to keep growing, you know, it's like sometimes when you get more like known, they kind of, it's more boundaries, there's more blocks and it's like, you just have to be free. I got here because I was just like, let me do this, let me do that, let me do this, let me do that. That's how I figured all the stuff that I've got out. So it's like, you got to fight for that space to continuously be creative. And uh, and and so yeah, I'm always gonna still keep creating any medium and just do what I feel and just like I I just like making stuff. I just really enjoy making things like whether it's like a a film or a grilled salmon. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I enjoy the stuff you make. I don't like salmon though. So by by like, why don't you like salmon? What is wrong with you? I don't. So weird weird fact, man. And listen, I'm Puerto Rican and black, so this is really hard to say. I don't like seafood. Wow. Like I. 
like I, I could do crab cakes and calamari. If you ordered it at the table, I would have a piece. But that that's it. My big problem, it's it's so juvenile, is that it still looks like the animal it was before it became my food. I have a really so it's very it's my thing. Uh my last question for you. Uh yesterday, December 10th, uh Disney uh threw up everything that they had in their <laughs> stomach on what's to come in, in, in the next few years at Disney and Disney Plus. And they mentioned uh, Black Panther 2. And I wanted to know if you had anything to share about that or anything about the news or just anything. Nothing to share, man. Nothing. I think I had just have to ask. Yeah. No, yeah. There's nothing. Nothing to share, bro. Nothing Not, any, anything you're working on next that you can talk about, like in terms of stuff that we should look forward to? Um, no, there's nothing. I've really been chilled this year. It's kind yeah. of like, which is, it's kind of been my first time I've paused for this long since I was like 16. So, are you are you in LA or the UK right now? I'm in London right now. Yeah. So like, I've just been kind of chilling. There's stuff like circling, but I can't until it's concrete. Yeah, it's I don't want to see anything. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's not even doesn't exist. Like, does it? It's just like that's that's the attitude like to stay healthy because you just can be like too invested and you go, oh yeah. cool. When the contracts are signed, then it's real. If it's not, then it's not. You know, and just kind of live your life. Uh, can you sing? Can you do a musical? Do you have a, a musical tone in you? Do I have a musical? T- I used to be able to sing as a kid. I used to sing as a kid and then um, my voice broke and I pissed off my music teachers. So I, you have to kind of get retrained. I sung for this. Like, I, did I tell you this? That when oh. for um, Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred, I, I, I saw, I went back to singing classes because I saw that with the speeches, it was a talking version of singing as opposed to the singing version of talking. Okay. So then I realized that these speeches were songs. And also I knew that because I'm not trained, I knew the toll that it would take on my vocal cords doing those speeches all day because I, I just, you have to gain that muscle. It's like anything. It's like, you just imagine just pumping your biceps a day. It's going to like 10 hours is going to hurt and you're going to have to do it the next day. So I, I went to see an opera teacher, the opera singing coach. And, and I sung gospel songs. I sung gospel songs. I sung James Brown. I sung all, all the kind of songs that felt like it had the spirit and the energy of these speeches. And then I would do the speeches with that energy. And so then I, yeah, I kind of just, I don't know. I just felt like singing and I just wanted to get that. And also it was strengthening my vocal cords in order to do so then and making sure that I was coming from my stomach. Because when I, when you do a play, the rehearsal process gives you the stamina, the kind of muscular stamina in your vocal cords in order to sustain the run. But when you're doing a film, you just go in there dry, you haven't trained and this is that. So I was kind of um, strengthening and conditioning yeah. my, my vocal cords and my all my diaphragm and everything. But yeah, like I did I did singing classes in order to, and then I just had that energy when I was doing speeches and realizing that it was a, why why I felt it resonated is because there was a tune to it. There was a tune to it that was um, that I was I was going for, and and people aren't really conscious that that's happening. But it's when they get on the stage and hit that, there is a you know I am a revolution, and it's like you hit a different note. You have to go up and you know it's not like you can't just go ah, like if you're just talking it, it won't impact you uh, in the same way. And I wanted that impact. So I realized I had to go to singing classes in order to, 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 to go towards it. 
Danny Cooley about to go on American Idol. Good for you, sir. Look at that. <laughs> um, I'm more of an expert than that. It's funny you say that because there, there's uh, the scene of, of you on the steps outside the government building. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, in that scene, because I think you're outside, it actually even it it seems like your 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 voice is uh is strained in that because I, I imagine it must be like my voice was gone. So basically, yeah. I asked to not do two speeches a week. Like I asked to not do that, and then but then well, I think I think the I am revolutionary speech was that week. Yeah, that was like ten hours of doing that speech, just me, just doing yeah. that speech. So. It was it was gone. The front was gone. So then I had I didn't realize I had another speech. So then there were certain takes that I was really it was just, I couldn't speak. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, you just got to push through. And they were like, yeah, and no, I would do it in ADR. We do in ADR. We do in ADR. And then Shaka just really liked the tone. He just liked yeah. it because he's, he really is doing this might as well. And I was like, all right, it kind of works. I'm sure there were times Fred was like strained out himself. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of works. But yeah, that was that was that wasn't planned. That was my my vocals were completely tired because I did the. I am revolutionary speech that week, that like two days before. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. I, I'm a really big fan of you. And uh, I have film awards editor here at Variety. And like I said, I think, uh, I think you might just want to rent a tux, you know, <laughs> where, where are you going to be and wearing it? I don't know. And that, yeah, that's yeah. still TBD, but yeah, yeah. you know, wherever it is, man, I, th- I think uh, some really good stuff's going to come, come your way. Oh, so, appreciate that, man. Thank you so much, Clayton, I, man. That's Daniel Kaluuya, one of the stars of Judas and the Black Messiah, which starts streaming on HBO Max and hits theaters simultaneously on February 12th. Never Rarely, Sometimes Always starts Sydney Flanagan as Autumn, a 17-year-old who discovers she's pregnant and struggles to get real information and help in a world of parental consent laws and shady prices pregnancy centers. Talia Ryder, Theodore Pellerin, and indie rock star Sharon Van Etten also co-star. I recently talked to Hitman about her new film, along with being a college professor at the Pratt Institute in New York City. We also talk about the love that her film has received from critics and what types of projects she would like to take on in the future. We began by discussing how she first discovered Newcomer Flanagan. My partner is an editor. He edited all of my films. He is a like an essential creative collaborator for me. And he's also a filmmaker. And somewhere in between uh, It Felt Like Love and Beach Rats, it was his turn to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, he shot a nonfiction film. It's hard to describe. It's not a documentary. Okay. Um, called Buffalo Juggalos. And we shot it in Niagara Falls. And Sydney was hanging out with a group of rowdy kids at age 14. And we sort of spotted her on the periphery of this kind of, I don't know, like a little bit of an insane look like backyard wedding. And she just, she was sitting off to the side painted in clown face and um, like just kind of taking the whole thing in. And we're like, who is this girl? We want to like take her home to her mother right now. But we uh, we kept track of all of these kids on Facebook in case we needed to ask them to be subjects in this film. Um, so she, we were following her on Facebook. And while I was coming up with this idea, I just kept on thinking about her either 
as a reference for the character or the non-professional, you know, 14-year-old that I wanted to do the film. I wasn't sure which. And then you just... And then flash forward a bunch of years and I was casting the movie and I just, I, I really couldn't get through the casting process without considering her because she was you you just needed it to, from the beginning you needed to see her once to see it just to if it didn't work then you could be like all right it didn't work yeah great let's cast you know someone else but I needed to follow through with the impulse because it was there like with the seed of the film oh God, so, like the like little like what what is that like? You know, you just move something in the past, and what the the ripple effect it has in the future. Like mm-hmm. this kid that you've kept track <laughs> track of, you now now comes back around, and she's for, for first. Like, did you when you started filming? Now get back to uh, mm-hmm. the film, and you start actually shooting. Did she blow out all your expectations that you thought she would be able to do with the character? It's, it's something else, you know, it's something deeper. Um, she, in the auditions, she was so vulnerable and um, so real that it was almost hard to look at all of the tapes from the actors afterwards. Yeah. You know, there was like, kind of a a strength and a fragility and um you know she she wasn't so obviously like a victim like I felt like she could take this journey with a little support you know um she has to she has to be able you have to believe that this girl has the strength to take this trip, but underneath it, there's so much fear. That she almost, yeah. that almost like she could break if like, if like touched the wrong way or hit the wrong yeah. way. Yeah. Shatter. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, um, and yeah. And you know, there's just things that are just like qualities that she had that I didn't know she would necessarily have that, um, were very compelling to watch. Casting, it's um, it's a strange art form because it, you know it's you know a strange process because it's really like what version of the movie do you want to watch? Mm. You know, and she was the version of. There's so many talented young actresses. Yeah, you know, but it's like what version do I want to watch? Who moves me? Who do I like? Yeah. Um, and it was a risk. You know, what, would she hate it? Would it be too much pressure? You know, um, but I think ultimately that those qualities are what people really respond to in the film. Was there any pressure for yourself? Did you feel any of that pressure? In oh, yeah. yeah. I felt very responsible for her. I still feel responsible for her. Did she want to be an actress? Like, did she ever express that to you? No. She wants <laughs> to be a performer. 
So it was about taking that goal and explaining to her, you know, how this was an extension of music and of performance in general. Did you feel that because she had never uh, acted before, you had kind of this uh, blank slate that you can build on, that you could just build upon? Like there's nothing that just unlearn in terms of uh, acting techniques or things that she would do as an actor? Uh, well, there were things she had to learn for yeah, sure. Yeah. You about know, the, un- the unlearn part the is the one that's a struggle. Yeah, there was no unlearning. Okay. Like, I think, you know, I was so captivated by her audition that I didn't want to change it. I just wanted to expand it, you know, and work with it. Um, and to preserve the vulnerability from the audition. And, you know, that was really the goal. Uh, Talk about you as a director now and you uh, putting it together. Uh, I get a lot of um, colors throughout your film. I I, I get like hints of yellows some pales, browns. Like I I didn't know if they had any significance, if you could speak to that. The color? Yeah. Well, yeah, there, there is like, maybe not, it's not very pronounced, but there is a progression to color throughout the film. And Pennsylvania is very sort of faded, you know, and we looked at a lot of the like palette in Pennsylvania as being sort of faded, but with these like pops of neon and pops of brightness because there are these like hunting elements, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you know, I was looking for color references for my my costume designer, actually, and I got on the subway one day in the winter, and I just took a picture of the car, and everybody was in black. Really? Like, New York was just, like, this solid uniform of, like, black puffy winter coats, and I was like, okay, well, we can't have black in Pennsylvania because it's a, this like color that's so such a uniform for New York. Yeah. Um, so that, that you know, it's like, how do you how do you make these characters feel like a little bit like outsiders in Pennsylvania and a little bit like outsiders in New York? And it was a challenge. Ooh, yeah. um, you, could just, you could just pick New Jersey. It was, we're probably where it's fine. No, no, no. <laughs> get an abortion. Um, but yeah, so we're just sort of looking at like sort of the the kind of colors that we were seeing, yeah. um, you know, a lot of in New York and sort of separating the palettes, if that makes sense, between the colors we were seeing in Pennsylvania and the colors we were seeing in New York and letting that be part of the progression um, of the visuals on screen. Uh, when you uh, looked through, once you had all your, once shooting was done and you had all your footage mm-hmm. uh, and putting it together and constructing it, was there anything that didn't make the film in terms of her story that, mm-hmm. that kind of breaks your heart that you didn't get to include? Is there a director's cut that's mm-hmm. out there? No, I think, you know, editing is just by nature a reductive process. So I'm always prepared to let things go. Um, There was a little storyline that got cut where they actually go to a bigger like city in Pennsylvania first before coming to New York. And that got cut. 
Um, but it was really only a few scenes and we just sort of streamlined the journey. She goes to like Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, and she learns that she has to bring her parents. And we ended up just feeling like it was too far to go for this one piece of information that that a lot of young people find out on the computer anyway. Yeah, true. So that was that was like the one sequence, I would say, that was cut. And the rest was just superfluous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. as a writer director, do you feel an affinity, a love, a passion towards one more than the other? Or do you just feel like you're both a writer and a director? Um, I feel like I'm both. I've never written a script that somebody else has really directed. Um, and I think that um, I'm, I'm, you know, interested in a certain point of view. I'm interested in really telling the kind of story that I don't see, you know, out in the world. Um, And um, as a director, that's the kind of material I'd be looking for to direct anyway. So if that makes sense. Uh, Final question for you. What is next for you? What, I mean, after this, what do you, where do you go from here? What, what do you have cooking? Hopefully it doesn't take as, as, as long we need another it takes time i don't it doesn't feel like a long time to me you for know? you yeah for the rest of us it does. maybe it feels pretty um consistently like a three-year cycle for me because there's always so much press that you do like i've been promoting the film for a year you know mm-hmm. and there's a lot that goes into um, making sure the film is taken care of in the world, you know, and, and seen. And um, so it's like, in, you know, it's work that you don't factor into the timeline. Um, so you're always sort of writing and promoting. And I, I'm working on an original television series and I'm writing another feature. Anything you could tell us about the TV series or the feature? Um, I don't know what to say about the television series because it feels for the first time like a project that's not necessarily in my hands. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel I could get a movie made with everybody I know. This is a little bit more of a different process. It's with Amazon um, and we'll see if they like it, you know? (laughs) Awesome. And the film, uh, anything is going to, themes it's going to explore? It's a very confrontational look at um, aging and dying. So looking a little bit at the the end of life, actually. And... Sounds very Terrence Malick. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Confrontational seems, look. It seems heavy. I feel like I'm going to cry. <laughs> so... I'll, I'll be I, yeah, I think most people are going to be kind of like this because yeah. nobody wants to think about the end. And that's Eliza Hitman, writer and director of Focus Features Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, currently streaming on HBO Max. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.